Well, this morning we're going to continue our series entitled Big Questions. Questions about God, questions about the Bible, questions about life. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 3. This is the second week that we've talked about big questions. Last week we looked about Scripture. We talked about the question, can you really believe that Scripture is true? And of course, a lot of what we talked about was what Scripture says about itself. And we talked about how that circular argument is applied to other books. And we talked about how God's Word is true and how it's been preserved. The reason why we started with that is because every other question we look at has to come from the understanding that God's Word is true. And so this morning, we're going to look at skepticism. And we're going to ask the difficult question, why would God allow evil? Why would God allow evil? Can I tell you that this question is asked by more unbelievers to myself and my family than maybe any other question? A lot of times this question is asked by people who have wanted to believe in the past, maybe even professed faith in the past, but have straight away fallen away and now reject Christianity altogether because this question haunts them. Why would God allow evil? It's really a difficult question to process through. And many of you in here this morning are sitting there going, I'm a believer and I trust that God is good, but this question rocks me and I don't have an answer. I've got good news and bad news for you this morning. The good news is, is that this is one of the easiest questions from a biblical perspective to answer. The Bible is abundantly clear on the answer to this question. There is no confusion. As a matter of fact, Scripture all throughout, from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, repeatedly declares the answer to this question, why would God allow evil? The good news is, we're going to look this morning and get an answer to that question. It's really, really easy when you study Scripture to answer that question. So if that's a question on your mind, the good news is, you'll have an answer. The bad news is, This is one of the hardest answers to accept. It's not that the Bible doesn't talk about it. It's that you and I, by and large, don't like what the Bible says about it. So this is a passage or or a a question. The scripture passages we're going to look at are, are really a dividing point in faith. Do you accept what God is saying or do you feel uncomfortable and reject it? This is a, a difficult question to, to receive because we don't like the answer, but I'm going to do my best to honor what God says in answering this question. Why would God allow evil? There are literally dozens of texts that we could turn to this morning, but I've decided to use Romans chapter 3 as our base text. With that being said, there are a lot of scripture verses I'm going to share with you this morning, and you're going to have a hard time flipping back and forth at the speed at which we're going. Even if you are a Bible drill champion, I'm not dwelling uh, on one passage for a long period of time. Often it's a reference that we're using, so you can follow along on the screen. Or if you have sermon notes pulled up on your phone or tablet, you can get those at fbcrobinson.com resources. As a matter of fact, I encourage you 
to pull up those notes this morning. Let me show you a little bit of what that might look like. If you're watching online, you probably can't see this. But if you're here in person, if you go to fbcrobinson.com resources, you're going to see a screen like this. And you're just going to want to tap on that date where it says weekly bulletin. And it's going to pull up your bulletin for you. Once you get there, you can scroll down and see our bulletin. Uh, there's announcements towards the back, but right there where those message notes are. If you touch those message notes anywhere in that box, it's going to pull up a detailed outline with all of our scripture verses this morning. Look at all those scripture verses we're going to be in with a detailed outline for you to reference later. I would encourage you to do that this morning. Even if you don't usually do that, I would encourage you to, to pull those up so you can follow along. Why would God allow evil? Why is it that we have suffering? If God is good and loving and all-knowing, why do we still hurt? Well, let's read Romans chapter 3. We're going to read verses 23 through 26 as our base text this morning. Romans 3, 23 starts off with this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation. That's a fancy word that means it's the payment on our behalf by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. That's going to be an important phrase. God died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for us. And he did so knowing that there were some sins before he died that were not forgiven yet. He passed those over until the cross of Christ. Wrapping up our passage. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. A lot to unpack in those verses a lot to, to unravel, and I realize as we read those, there's some big words and some big concepts, so let's spend some time asking this question and unpacking it. If you're following along with notes, there's basically three natures I want to look at this morning. Three natures to help us understand why God would allow evil and suffering. The first nature I want to look at is the nature of humanity. The nature of Humanity, And I want to ask you this question. Are people basically good or basically evil? Now, we're in a Baptist church right now. Those of you who grew up in a Baptist church and went to Sunday school and vacation Bible school, you answer this question very emphatically and correctly that people are born sinful. And so people, given our natural state, without any uh, in interference will gravitate towards evil. But can I tell you, that is a controversial, controversial statement in a secular culture. Most people who are not Christians answer the question, are people basically good or are they basically evil, emphatically that people are good, but they do bad things. Let me tell you, this question really is the defining point of how we answer, why does God allow evil? Because if people are basically good and basically do good things, if we naturally gravitate towards helping and not hurting, if we're naturally inclined to help others and not ourselves, then we have no answer for the question, why does God allow evil and suffering? 
because that makes God unjust for any punishment he were to give us. So the nature of humanity is important. And the Bible teaches us that God created all things good. He's a good God. Genesis 1 and 2, he made all things and said it was good. He completed it by saying it was very good. It was perfect in all things. And yet, sin entered the world and makes all things evil. God did not create evil. He created perfection. But he allowed human beings the chance to rebel. And guess what we did? We rebelled. That, that brings sin into the world. And it corrupts. Perfection was broken. And I want you to understand how big a deal it is that God's perfect creation was shattered. Because we struggle to understand why God would punish small sins with eternal consequences. And it's because any breaking of perfection is an eternal sin. Think about this. If you have something that is perfect and you break it, it can never be perfect again. You can put it back together, but there's a spot in history of blemish. And its perfection is done. Those of you who have wrapped up with school, I think at this point everybody has, looking forward to going back or somehow educating yourselves in the fall, you think of your tests. You get your very first test of the year, and you're excited because school just started. You study hard, and you get an A+. Maybe that's your first A-plus this morning. Congratulations. Give yourself a round of applause. Your first test, A-plus. You have a perfect score. Your second test, you work really hard, study really hard, A-plus. Perfect score. Your third test, you study really hard, you delve into the, the, the books, and you get a 99. You're still pretty happy with that, right? But your grade now is not a perfect grade any longer. I don't want to disappoint you, but it's not perfect. What if you get 100 on the rest of your tests throughout the year and you finish the semester with six 100s and 199? Do you have a perfect score? No. You have a really, really good score, but your perfection has been broken, and it does not matter what amount of perfection you attain, you cannot any longer achieve that perfect score. Because once perfection is broken, it's eternally broken. Why does God punish small sins with eternal consequences? Because a breaking of perfection is an eternal sin. It deserves an eternal consequence. God created all things good, and we, as human beings, broke it. Romans 3.23 says that. We read that just a minute ago. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is important to understand when we look at evil. Every single person is a sinful person. Earlier in the chapter, Romans 3.10 says this. As it is written, none is righteous. And then to emphasize it, no, not one. It says, if... Paul is writing this, and he says, none is righteous, and he thinks immediately they're going to go, yeah, but Miss So-and-so, she goes to the tabernacle every single week, and she always has her. Paul says, no, not her either, not one. No one is righteous. See, when sin entered the world through Adam, through the very first created man, when sin entered through him, him and Eve passed on that sin nature to every single person that has ever existed. All of us as descendants of Adam have inherited that sin trait. Romans 5.12 tells us that. Paul says, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. 
And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. The Old Testament even understood this concept. In Psalm 51, it's written, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. By the way, there's, there's a quick aside here. When did your sin become a part of who you are? When my mother conceived me. I think this is important, one, because it tells us we're born with sin nature, but two, when did sin enter us? When did life enter us? Was it our first breath? No, we were sinful from the moment of conception. There was life there. That's an aside, but this is a great illustration of how God has given life from the very moment of conception. And in that moment, you and I had a sinful nature. It's important when we ask the question, why would God allow evil that we understand the nature of humanity is not basically good? Fixing society with sinful people still has sinful people. Fixing symptoms does not get to the root. The root problem is that your heart and my heart is bent towards evil when we're left on our own. That is the nature of humanity. Secondly, I want to look at the nature of God. The nature of who God is. Now, there's no way we can delve into everything there is to know about God, but I want to address something that has been widely recognized as the problem of evil in relation to who God is. If you Google the problem of evil, you'll come up with not only articles, but dissertations and papers and essays and and all of these philosophical books dedicated to what they call the problem of evil. This is what is proposed as the problem of evil. If there is a God, a God that we envision, the creator of all things, if there is a God, then he has to be all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving. Whether you're a Christian or not, you recognize that's what God is. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving. And we also observe that there is evil in the world that God does not stop. So the problem of evil says that means either God is not all-powerful and he can't stop evil, or God is not all-knowing and he doesn't understand where evil's coming from or know exactly how evil comes about. Maybe he doesn't recognize evil. Or you have to believe God is not all-loving. He doesn't care enough to do anything about the evil. So the problem of evil says that if God is able to stop evil and he doesn't, he is either lacking in power, lacking in knowledge, lacking in love. Therefore, there must be no God. Can I tell you, that has all sorts of wrong premises. I want to look at the nature of God according to the Bible, then we're going to tackle the problem of evil with our last nature. But, but God's word clearly tells us these three things. God, first of all, is all-powerful. There are dozens of places of Scripture to turn to, so just one, Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? And the answer to that rhetorical question is no. God is able to do all things. God is all-powerful, and He's all-knowing. He knows everything. Psalm 147, verse 5 says, Great is our Lord, and abundant in power, there's His strength, and His understanding is beyond measure. God says, you want to give me an IQ test? The numbers don't go high enough. 
You want to test how much I know? There's no amount of measurement that could contain my knowledge. His knowledge is infinite. You cannot quantify it. He knows all things. And thirdly, God is all loving. I love how Scripture describes God as loving. It's not just that God loves people, but as we read in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Hey God, how much do you love? That's a silly question. I am love. I, I can't do anything except love. That's not just my nature. That's who I am. God is all loving. So we have to understand this problem of evil. We recognize there is evil in the world, but God is a good God who's perfect in strength, perfect in knowledge, perfect in love. And so that leads us to ask the question, not just about the nature of humanity and God, but what about the nature of evil? And this is really where we want to answer the question. Now that we understand we as sinful human beings experience evil and suffering, God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, we ask ourselves the question, what about evil? Well, if you just Google definition of evil, Google is going to give you this, a noun that is profoundly Im- uh, profound immorality and wickedness. I agree. Google got it right. That's what evil is, profound immorality and wickedness. Now, my question to turn it around on the, the problem of evil is, how do they know what is profoundly immoral and wicked? To what are you comparing it to? What standard? For instance, I believe it is immoral and wrong and sinful according to the Bible of Trey, not the Bible of God, but the Bible of Trey. It is sinful to cheer for the Duke Blue Devils. It's just not allowed. It's wrong. If you do that, you cannot live at my house. Do you all understand this? Okay, This is not allowable. My standard says there will be no cheering for any team in basketball from the state of North Carolina. That is immoral. My standard. Can I get an amen? amen. There's at least one other Kentucky fan in here. Whose standard is it? Your standard is something different. You say, well, I don't like anybody who cheers for Kentucky, or I don't, I don't like people who wear blue shirts, or, or I don't think it's right that we should wear face masks or not wear face masks. I don't think it's... And we go back and back all around to all of these decisions we're making. I don't think that. What is your standard of morality? Well, for most people, their standard for morality is, I think or I don't think. I think that it's immoral to walk on a sidewalk when you could walk on the grass. I think it's immoral to not use your blinker when you're turning left. I think it's immoral to not fill in the blank. My question is, where does immorality and evil and an understanding of that come from? C.S. Lewis has an amazing quote. I love his philosophy. Here's what he says. My argument against God was that there was a, the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But, he asks, how had I got this idea of just and unjust. A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? There has to be a standard. There has to be a rule book. Right? The rule book for my house is you cheer for Kentucky or else you sleep outside. That's the rule. Right? 
The rule book when you go to play a, a baseball game is about this thick, and it's got all sorts of rules about, about sliding and outs and, and fly balls and infield flies and double plays and tagging. and You've got to go to the standard. And for our life, there has to be a standard for what is just and right, moral and immoral. How do we know that murder is a sin? How do we know that murder is wrong? What if it benefits me? What if it's to my benefit to injure someone else? There has to be a standard that says it's not about your opinion. There has to be an ultimate guide. No, the the nature of evil has to have a standard, and that standard is God's word. Evil according to the Bible. Evil according to the Bible is, is revealing God's will and us not living up to it. Look with me several places. First, evil according to the Bible uh, tells us in Jeremiah 2 2, verse 13 that evil is rejecting God's standard for our own standard. Jeremiah 2 13, my people have committed two evils. Here we go. One, they have forsaken me in the fountain of living waters. And two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's how Jeremiah describes evil. One is... God made you a perfectly good well, and you rejected it. That's evil. But what's even worse, the second evil, is that you dug your own well that can't hold water, and you're determined to try to get water from it. That's evil. God, I don't want what you gave me. I want what I have. God describes this as evil. Secondly, evil is falling short of God's glory. We read this in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Anything short of God's perfection, by definition, according to Scripture, is evil. Then in Romans 1.23, it tells us again, we've traded away God's glory for the glory of creation. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's how John Piper describes what evil is. I like this definition. The core essence of evil is preferring anything more than God. Where does evil come from? We care more about ourselves than the one who created us. So that leads us to the question, why doesn't God get rid of all evil? This is the question we started off with, wasn't it? Why is there evil to begin with? As we ask this question, I, I, I chuckled to myself internally a little bit. Why doesn't God get rid of all evil? Here's the secret that's not so secret. He does. <laughs> all of it. Every last bit. Eternity will consist of perfect goodness in God's presence with no evil. Not only can God get rid of all evil, that is his plan, that is his will, and that's what he's working out in the creation around us. God rids the world of all evil. So the question isn't, why doesn't he? The question then becomes, why hasn't he yet? What are we waiting for? Is God just really, really slow? Does God work at the DMV, right? Are we, are we standing in line waiting for God to fix the problem? It's right here, God. Do something about it. If God can fix evil, why doesn't he do it right now? If you could stop someone else's pain and you didn't, would you be loving or would you be evil? If you could keep someone from injuring themselves, wouldn't it be more loving to stop them? 
It's exactly what's going on in our creation right now. God is consistently and constantly disciplining this world to show us His will for our lives. I've got a a renegade uncle I've talked about it a few times. He's the quote-unquote black sheep of the family. He's been in and out of jail numerous times and and over and over and over again when my grandmother was alive, she'd go and she'd bail him out and bring him home and bail him out and bring him home. The longest period of time that he spent straight and clean was a time that my family decided not to bail him out. They let him sit in the jail until his jail time was up. When he got out, he was briefly changed. It did good in his life. And the question is, was it loving or unloving for them to let him sit in a jail cell? Well, from his perspective, it seemed pretty evil. Why don't you get me out of this mess? You could come and pay the money and I could walk free. But the most loving thing that my grandmother did in that moment was she said, no, I'm letting you stay the 60 days or 30 days or 90 days or whatever it was. No, you're going to have to figure this out and get right. There are times. There are times when the suffering yields repentance and goodness. There are times that the pain is what causes us to understand God's glory. So let me ask you, how do you counteract evil? You counteract evil with justice. You get rid of evil by punishing sin. God can get rid of all evil right now if He so desires, and there will be a time that He swings a hammer and it's over, and all of creation is under the judgment, all those apart from Christ. And in that moment, the wicked deeds will immediately be punished for what they are. And the result of that will be that everyone who has not acknowledged their sin and trusted in Christ would immediately be cast into hell. Can I tell you, that's not God's ultimate desire for humanity. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, This is good and it pleases, pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. That's His will. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. God's will is for the salvation of many, many people. And it is God's grace that restrains him from immediately punishing sin. Do you know why sin and suffering and evil in the world? It's because God is a gracious God that is allowing more time for someone else who doesn't know him to know him. How selfish is it of me to say, Lord, someone else can eternally suffer for their sins. I'm tired of suffering today. How selfish is it of me to say, God, I don't care what the eternal destiny of the world is. I I want my suffering in the moment to be over. The suffering, the evil, and the wickedness are a sign of God's grace. Romans 3.25, we read this verse earlier, and I think it, it reminds us how God is working. It says, God put forward Christ as a propitiation, that is, He paid for our sins by His blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness. Now listen to what His plan was and is. In His divine forbearance, all knowledge, He has passed over former sins. He's waiting. He's waiting. In His wisdom, in His all-lovingness, in His all-power, and His all-knowledge, God is waiting. It allows suffering. It means that we we experience evil because there's somebody, at least one more we can have confidence in, 
that God is waiting for them to put their faith and trust in Him. Not only can God get rid of evil, that is His plan. But not until all those who will come to know Him turn. So I wonder this morning, two applications to this. One is, is God waiting on you? Is God allowing this earth to continue in the state that it is because He's tugging on your heart and saying, I'm not ready to punish all sin until you trust me so that Jesus pays for your sin and you don't pay for it yourself. The first point of application is, have you trusted Jesus Christ not to get rid of your suffering on earth, but to pay for your sin for all of eternity? The second point of application is, if you have trusted Him, who do you know that God's waiting on? Who do you know that needs to hear this message this morning? God loves you. He's all-powerful. He's able to save. Why does God allow evil and suffering? Because of grace. Because He cares enough to see at least one more come to know Him. Let's pray. Father, You're good in all things. Lord, over and over and over again in Scripture, we read about Your faithfulness, Your power, Your might, Your knowledge, Your love, Your glory, Your infinite worth. Lord, You are an amazing God who only does what is best. Lord, right now we experience evil and suffering and we struggle and we scratch our heads, but we know we have confidence that in Your timing and in Your will and in Your way, You will put an end to all evil. Your Word clearly states that. So, Father, as you patiently wait, we patiently wait. And we work and we strive. We do all that we can to let everyone know there is still time. Judgment has yet to come. But we pray this morning that you would reveal in the hearts of someone listening to this message this morning, studying your word, their need to know you. Lord, we ask that you would put a burden on our hearts for those who don't know you. Lord, we pray that as we endure suffering and evil, we would have an eternal mindset that you're working out salvation in others. Lord, do that now. It's in your name we pray. Amen.